Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Hey, Jeremy, I want to take a moment to tell our listeners about something I'm really excited about. Sharon, what's that? The North Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists and the South Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists are having an interstate conference, a state meeting with the two organizations coming up in just a few short weeks. Of course, last year it was planned and, you know, COVID kind of ruin that for us. It was on Zoom. It was great. It was still a great meeting, but not this year. We're still planning for it to be in person. That's right. And this year, live and in person, it's going to be at the Renaissance Hotel in Asheville, which I'm looking forward to, one of my favorite cities in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. I'm sure others are actually looking forward to going someplace other than a computer or in their home office. Uh, Well, I know I am. The meeting's going to be September 10th through the 12th. And there's still time to register. People can get about 22 CEs while you're up there. You can take a tour of Asheville's awesome microbreweries. We're going to have an awesome pack event. I happen to know the DJ for the pack event uh, very well. We'll have, of course, the state business meetings. You'll have an opportunity to network and visit with exhibitors. And with both states coming together, we'll have lots of exhibitors. So I look forward to seeing people there. Including us. We'll be there. That's right. We're going to be doing some podcast taping on site while we're there. But Please come and join us and enjoy all the great sights and sounds of a destination in the mountains. And it's got to be a little bit cooler than it is down here. (laughs) That's right. So we don't want our listeners to miss it. You can register at ncana.com or sccrna.org. We're looking forward to seeing you in Asheville. You will not want to miss this meeting. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Sharon. Good morning. I can see you. (laughs) Are you scared? Welcome to the studio. <laughs> I know. It's, it's good been to, a while. I know. I know. Are you going to find our other microphone? Yeah. Yeah. We got to figure out what happened to that other microphone. But uh, at least we have enough for us and our guests this oh, morning. Oh, I know. Right? We do. Okay. All right. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to be back in the studio. I'm excited for our, our guest today, who was supposed to be our guest at the ANA meeting. I know. I'm so bummed that we're not going to get to have the meeting. I was so looking forward to it, to seeing everybody. You know, I hadn't even seen the Fab Four. Well, I see Carol, yeah, because Carol lives in Minnesota, so whenever I visit the twins, I get to see Carol. But I haven't seen Tracy nor Jackie in, gosh, a year and a half. Wow. 
That's the longest time that we've never been together. So we always give each other prizes at the meetings. And so I mailed their prizes to them yesterday. Oh. Oh, and they're so cool. This will air after they get them. So I'll tell you what they are. I had these coffee mugs made, and it has the four of us, and you could design it with the right color hair and we're sitting there and it's got our names underneath and then it says we'll be best friends forever and then when we are so old we forget we'll be best friends again or something like that it's it's really so it's not actual pictures it's like caricatures yeah yeah gotcha it's really really cute i can have a lot of fun with that Oh, yeah, you sure Maybe could. Maybe I should get you one, like me and you on a, on a little coffee mug, a caricature. Well, you know, I like it. We yeah. can sit here in the studio and drink, even though you don't drink coffee. I don't coffee. drink coffee, but you I'll drink, drink tea. tea. Yeah, you drink so. tea like a girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee's bad for you. I can't do it. That is not true. Well, that you know, if you say it, it's true, right? Isn't that <laughs> the way this Facebook. world works now? <laughs> no, if you put it on Facebook, it's true. That's what it is. Uh, well, we want to introduce our guest today. We have with us Mr. Richard Flowers, and a.k.a. known as Richie. Richie, thanks for coming in this morning. Hey, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. And it just Very so glad to be here. So happens that you are here in Winston Salem with us at the illustrious Wake Forest University program, and whoop whoop. Yeah, Sharon's alma mater and my wife's alma mater. So uh, we're lucky to have you here, and thank you for coming in. Well, I'm happy to be. I didn't know I was going to be back in the studio for the first time with you guys, so I feel a little honored. But it's more fun in the studio. Yeah. It, it is. It is. I mean, it's okay over Zoom, but there's just something about mm-hmm. being in person and sitting here with your headphones and the boom yeah. and everything. You just really get into it. I think. Yeah. And you know what? Everybody sounds better in the studio. You're not kidding. So that's, that's no internet thing. instability. <laughs> none of that. So listeners, there'll be no scratching in the background no slowdowns no anything (laughs) yeah well richie we're going to talk today about something that is very important in the nurse anesthesia community and really dealing with cultural humility and we're going to we're going to spend some time talking about that which i think is very important but first why don't you uh tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your background yeah, I've been a CRNA for 25 years, uh, well, maybe 25 years next year. So I practice in every type of environment you can imagine, from academic to independent practice. Uh, for 10 years before I moved to North Carolina, I had an independent high-risk OB practice, all CRNA. So it was a, hmm. it was a great time in my life. And my time in, in New Mexico, I really learned a lot about different cultures as you can imagine mm, being a I bet. white kid from the south moving to new mexico and which is a really a melting pot of different cultures and stuck my foot in my mouth a lot and <laughs> learned a few things here and there but that kind of shaped some of my discussion and interest in this uh, even though i didn't really know it at the time when i moved to north carolina i was mid dnp program which was uh, a little bit of a a shock in itself to me to do that mid-program. Sharon can probably mm. appreciate that, Travis. <laughs> Trying to change jobs, careers, and move cross-country in the middle of a DMP program was, oh my goodness. was a lot of fun. But um, when I moved here, I immediately started you know, making inroads with the Wake Forest program because my long-term goal at that point was to, to teach full-time. And I, that's what I do now. So I'm assistant professor, faculty, have a really cool title at the program. I'm an educational innovator. I love that title. Isn't that cool? <laughs> that is um, cool. I like that title. So I hope that get to keep that title. But yeah, so I'm full-time faculty and uh, really enjoy you know all aspects of, of what that entails. I'll tell you, it was a very sad day in the office when the news launched that that we weren't going to Austin. <laughs> and no, then, of course, having, a great to, city. having to tell the students that, too, was even worse. So, did you, uh, Were you having a lot of students? Yeah, go? we did. Our, our rising senior class, almost the entire class was yeah. going. My wow. entire class went. Well, I guess it's better be. to be safe than sorry. But, you know, I know everyone misses being together and, you know, the things going on in Austin right now. That It doesn't look good down there. It's kind of interesting. You know, I just got yeah. back from Costa Rica mm-hmm. for two weeks, and we went on this – 
hiking excursion and there was another couple with their two kids on it with us and he just so happened to be an ed doc in austin oh really which was interesting so we were talking about this stuff and how it had gotten bad in austin and he said you guys are still having your meeting it's like oh yeah yeah we'll be down there you know the 13th and so it was very interesting timing on that so but uh Richie, let's kind of talk about this topic. You've named it cultural humility. And, you know, why is this important? Why is it so important, especially at this time? You know, I think the the short answer is it's no secret we have a diversity problem in our profession, right? When you look at nurse anesthesia and you look at our demographics compared to the general population, it's far different. We use the term people of color, right? Our profession is maybe 11%, I think. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but about 11% that is not Caucasian right. in our profession, whereas the average population in America is pushing 40%. I think the studies all say now that by 2043, Caucasians will be a minority in the United States of America. So we don't represent the population, that is somewhat of a point of contention if you discuss that within our profession. Mm-hmm. In general, people tend to say, you know, the best get in and it is what it is Right. when it comes to admissions. And I've been heavily involved in admissions in the last couple of years. And yeah, that's true, but there's a lot of things we can do that's a better job. But back to why it's important, you know, it doesn't come down to just the fact that we don't look like the population. It comes down to the fact that difference creates health disparities, which leads to outcome differences, which leads to dollars and Mm. just outcome differences, right? Differences in health among populations. And it's really hard for people to wrap their minds around that because in the anesthesia and especially in nurse anesthesia, we tend to silo what we do. We tend Mm -hmm. to think I'm walking in, I'm the expert, I'm putting this person to sleep. It doesn't matter whether I connect with them. All that matters is whether or not I know what I'm doing and I do a good job in the OR. And the end of our perspective or the the edges of our silo is when we drop that patient off in the PACU. Hmm. They look good. Great. Bye. Hmm. I did a great job. So in our minds, we don't really think much about how we contribute to more global outcomes in our patients and the healthcare systems, and that's really bad that we're we're so siloed. But the fact is, we do. Yeah, I'm just wondering if there's a way around that. But what you say is exactly true. I see them. You've got just a a few minutes, mm-hmm. and then you give them versed then they don't remember you. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why we've been the best kept secret in right. healthcare because yeah. if nobody they, knows who you are after you dose them a little right. bit, right? And then, <laughs> you know, if they remember you during the surgery, that's bad. That's really bad, yeah. <laughs> and then you do drop them off yeah. and you've got to have a short turnover time and you've got to be on your next case in the next 10 minutes. And that's in a hospital, you know, in, yeah. in, in outpatients too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have one question. Whenever we look at the makeup of the profession as a whole, is that a representation of an upstream problem? Because we have to get our people from ICU nursing. It is. It, it partially is. So nursing does a little better job than we do. Medicine does a little better job in some aspects than we do. And being involved in some of the um, inclusion and diversity and outreach committees at the School of Medicine see that they do a much better job of convincing, in particular, like young African-American males, young black males, into going into medicine. Unfortunately, you know, when we think about trying to convince sixth graders, which is really where this has to begin. And we talk Mm -hmm. about this in our program. Dr. Courtney Brown's done a great job with pipeline programs, reaching out to youth and saying, hey, you should consider this as a profession. And there's other people out there, Dr. Lena Gould, you know, Mm -hmm. other people in the profession. There's a a really interesting program I just saw on the AANA website called CAP Incorporated. I think they're out of Baltimore. And they have programs specifically reaching like middle school, mm-hmm. high school youth and talking about nursing professions and nurse anesthesia included. But it is, we're, we're not reaching 
kids when we need to reach them mm-hmm. to get them into nursing. And medicine does a really good job of convincing those people. And it, it's it's a hard choice. You know, you, you have talented young people to say, hey, you should be a doctor or right. you should be a nurse. Well, you've been in anesthesia almost as long as I have been. And when we were being trained, anesthesiologists were very diversified yes. but it's for a whole different reason yeah, it was a different because reason. of they used to call them fmgs uh-huh. foreign medical graduates hmm. because anesthesia was seen as a loser went into anesthesia really they could not feel the anesthesiologist spots so they purposely went to the foreign medical graduates huh, sandy can tell you all of this in much <clears throat> better detail than i can so Every anesthesiologist, basically, that I trained with were Afghan, Pakistani, Mm -hmm. Italian, lots of Indians. Mm -hmm. And then once it became lucrative, you could just see Mm -hmm. the shift. Mm -hmm. I would love to see the numbers now about the diversity because it's not like that anymore. Um, Once it became lucrative, then American graduates... American right. medical students started going into anesthesia once it became lucrative. Well, you know, the first thing that pops into my mind is historically back when all of our parents were growing up, nursing was seen as a female profession. Right. You know, and I look at nursing now, especially nurse anesthesia, that is about 50-50. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's about 50% female, about mm-hmm. 50% male. First, that gives me hope that obviously things can change. Second thing was one of the reasons males started going into nurse anesthesia was because of the money factor, mm-hmm. making good money. Well, actually, I would argue it's the other way around. With the females? No, I think it was an autonomy issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the men wanted to go where they could, because men are used to having their own way. Yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> really and so, only, and especially white men. <laughs> yeah, that's the only metric that we do okay in. Yeah, yeah that's is, right. Is, yeah, actually. And, and so, I think it was the autonomy piece that they wanted to begin with. Hmm. And I thank my lucky stars that it was men coming in because. That's where the money would go. Yeah. The profession would have remained feminized and the salaries would mm-hmm. have remained low. Yeah. We even no, know, we even know in the nurse anesthesia profession that the males will make about 18,000 more a year than the females. CRS. And that represents the general population as well. That still blows my mind when you say that. I mean, but it's the same in my industry, Sharon. I mean, you know, overwhelmingly, women make more than y'all. No, (laughs) I mean, but overwhelmingly, we we don't have a lot of diversity. We don't have, you know, as many females. You know, the industry is trying to change that now, but it is a huge trend in our industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, that's that's interesting, not surprising. Yeah, but when do we truly have representation? I'm thinking about. Congress. I mean, I'm thinking about you. You yeah. know, that's where yeah, I always right. go with this. Right. And 24% of all legislative seats in the country are occupied by women, but yet we yeah. represent 51% of the population. But I guess all of this, we know that there's a problem. Right. And the, mm-hmm. what is it? The first step is awareness that yeah. you've got it, it, a problem. It certainly is because in in context, you know, if I were to launch this on Facebook today. And just go out and say, hey, you have a diversity problem in anesthesia. Immediately, there would be comments begin saying, well, we shouldn't lower the bar. Mm-hmm. Right. That is the most arrogant, demeaning mm-hmm. thing to say that you would even need to lower the bar. Mm-hmm. And I will just say that now. We don't need to lower the bar. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of qualified, very smart minority students mm-hmm. out there, nurses, High school students, it's just convincing them that we're the path. Right. Business has done a great job. If you mm-hmm. look at GRE scores going into business school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much and better. black males, super high GRE scores. Right. They've just done a really good job of convincing them that that's a path to take early in life. Yeah. 
As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Well, Richie, what, I mean, we're talking about this stuff. I mean, obviously there has to be barriers to diversity. And why why hasn't it happened up until now? And what are the barriers moving forward? You know, you talk about just the general barriers of the things we just discussed, right? It's a pipeline problem. Mm-hmm convincing especially young black males to go into nursing right you know that's been difficult and has a lot of barriers that i don't have time to go into all those there's a lot of barriers involved in that even though now the ana president is a black man absolutely we just interviewed him and it's there is an interesting contrast in that did you know that when you look at black people in nursing in general the highest number of people seeking DNP in higher degrees are represented in the black community. You know what, though? Wow. That would kind of make sense to me. And I'll say this as the only female sitting in the room. You know, female surgeons are usually so much better than their male counterparts because they have to be very high achievers to work in a male-dominated mm-hmm. profession. So I could see that they would feel the need to go to the top level so they felt Mm -hmm. like that they were seen as and i could be totally wrong with that because i've not walked in those in those shoes but i could see the need to feel like i've got to overachieve for acceptance does that make sense it does and i think it comes to this is a a personal theory and i've heard this before but for advanced practice nursing professions that are clinical if you're an underrepresented minority who went through nursing school, mm-hmm. and this is even a contrast with medical school, you've been in a clinical setting. You've experienced racism. Mm-hmm. You've experienced being treated differently by patients, providers, other nurses. You've lived it in nursing in school. You've lived it in the clinical realm. So, why would you want to continue experiencing that? Mm-hmm. Medical students come into medical school with no clinical experience. Right. They've been undergrad students, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it might be easier to recruit those underrepresented groups mm-hmm. into medicine, into business, because mm-hmm. they haven't experienced what it's like to be in a clinical realm mm-hmm. and have that environment, a somewhat racist environment, actions against them, mm-hmm. which we know they, they experience that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, women, I'll give you an example. Women do too. And I just want to throw that out there. And good Lord, a black female, probably even more so for sure. But I just went to work in a hospital again for the first time in 16 years. And I was walking with a black male CRNA. And he was precepting me, and somebody come up and asked a question. And as we're walking down, he looks at the black male and goes, "Thank you, doc." To him, <clears throat> he didn't think I was a doc, and I am a doctor mm-hmm. <laughs> now because she <laughs> says says so. But I just thought that might be what it feels like, hmm. or even worse. I recently had a you know a student tell me a story about. They were in the OR, and the person who was the CRNA they were working with said, you know, I'm going home. Someone else is going to be taken over. And a black male walked in the room and kind of walked up to the head of the bed, and and they thought, well, who is this? Is this housekeeping? Uh, 
Never, yeah. Yeah. it didn't yeah. cross I've their mind that this was a CRNA yeah. coming into the room. Yeah. So if you're a nursing student mm-hmm. and you've experienced those mm-hmm. actions continuing in an additional mm-hmm. clinically based career, you know, that may be a barrier. In our own profession, just I think when you're not diverse, you don't promote diversity. And I think our largest within the profession, and the reason I think this whole cultural humility idea is important in the nurse anesthesia profession is our own people don't understand right. the reason. Like I said, you know, the first discussion that happens is, oh, we have to lower the bar. No, we don't have to lower the bar. It's arrogant. It's mm-hmm. it's a slap in the face to all the underrepresented CRNAs out there who made it. Right. So you talk about cultural humility. So what's the difference between cultural humility and cultural competence? I just kind of threw up a little bit when you said cultural competence because <laughs> what, what inst- don't get it on the microphone. Okay, it's not on the mic. So what instantly goes through my mind is some <clears throat> mindless education that I'm forced to do once a year where I just can't oh. click the next button fast enough. Okay. Right? Oh, That's okay. what cultural gotcha. competence. <clears throat> cultural competence is another arrogant term. How can I ever be competent Competent. in a culture that's not my own? Mm. The Mm. whole idea that I can obtain competence creates part of the problem and some of the barriers because it's like, yep, I learned everything I need to know to take care of a Muslim patient. I'm all good. Mm -hmm. I'm an expert. It's that whole model that I've received the certificate. I'm checked off. I know exactly what I need to do, and it propagates this idea that in patient interaction Mm -hmm. where I walk in as the expert in you. Mm -hmm. I don't need to listen to what you have to say. I don't even need to be concerned with your concerns because I'm an expert. Mm -hmm. And cultural humility looks at it completely differently. Cultural humility, to begin with, cultural competence is one and done. Okay. I'm checked well, that's off. A good. Which it kind of fits with what you said earlier, though. The, the CRNA walks into the room. They, they say hello to the patient. I guess you do your pre-op. Sharon, you slip them a little versed and you're done. Yeah. So that's I go back to your point you mm-hmm. made earlier. Is that really hard to change because of that reasoning? I think this is a tool to do that because one of the central tenets of cultural humility is lifelong learning. Gotcha. So y'all have put together some kind of program at Wake Forest that you teach students. So you want to yeah. talk about your program that you have? Yeah, when I, I took over a health assessment course a few years ago, and we were in the process of leveling up, if you will, to doctoral education mm-hmm. from master's education. So we began to look at the objectives in all the courses and say, what is it that needs to be changed for this to transition from a master's level course to a doctorate level course? Well, you know, a lot of DMP has nothing to do with anesthesia. So we, we began looking. We knew we had covered the COA essentials, but when we were looking at the doctoral essentials, it became evident that we weren't covering cross-cultural care mm-hmm. at the level that would, would equal doctoral-level education. And I began doing research, and, you know, my kids would say, and I kind of felt this way myself, I'm the guy that needs to be hearing this and not the guy that needs to be teaching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed – so I, I really started doing my own education in this realm. And honestly, the first thing I did think when I thought cultural competence was oh, God, another training another. module, right? And I came across a YouTube video – on cultural humility and it it really resonated this idea that you know there is a difference it, it is a lifelong learning and the, the the central tenets of cultural humility are self-reflection addressing power imbalances and i know that word probably freaks people out but that really comes down to that no i'm not the expert in you i'm not the expert right. in your culture so as you guys mentioned going in and doing that pre-op we walk in, I'm the expert in anesthesia, I'm going to tell you what you need, bye. Yeah. It's framing that a little bit differently. And then just that continual process of lifelong learning and honestly just being nice. When we right. think humility, it's like, okay, I'm not an expert in every LGBTQ issue, but if I walk in and I have a transgender patient – I don't know what pronoun to use. Right. It's like, just help me help you. 
I'm here to help you. Help me help you. And that's kind of one of the way, one of the ways I view cultural humility is looking at things from a model. So what we did was we we took this and it, this was developed as a tool in the '90s. It's it's recently been defined as an actual grand theory, cultural humility. But taking this tool, and we created a curriculum thread using the, the tool of cultural humility. And it's basically the entire first year of the nurse anesthesia curriculum, which will be converting to the second year in mm-hmm. doctoral education. But And we have a series of six lunch and learns. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been. I've You've done some, some lunch those. and learns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, They're really cool. The Department yeah. of Anesthesia sponsored too, right? it. And we bring in speakers from different underrepresented groups in the community. Mm. And they come in and they talk about what are the the disparities experienced in the black community in Winston-Salem. What's the history of that? History is a big part of, right. of cultural humility. We talk about the eugenics program that was here in our own medical system. We, they talk about mm-hmm. Highway 52 dividing the city and creating disparities. So, you know, a lot of just education on what's going on in our local community within these upper – underrepresented groups Mm -hmm. and how can we contribute to not contributing to that how can we not contribute not be a part of the problem exactly and it's been tremendous and i really began to see that hey you know in our profession going all the way back to the health disparities and the issue of diversity we have fifty-five thousand crnas Mm -hmm. 90 percent are me. Mm-hmm. 50% are me and 50% are you, right? Mm-hmm. Of that 90%, mm-hmm. white males and females. Mm-hmm. We're not going anywhere. Well, we will. <laughs> Eventually. And you and I will. <laughs> yeah. Probably. But pipeline <laughs> not, not programs. Not many years. <laughs> like you're right. I hope not many years. Pipeline programs, that's a, that's a long game. Yeah. yeah. We start changing the face it, of diversity. That's a really long game. So what's the short game? The short game is convincing you and I that we can make a difference and that diversity matters Mm -hmm. and that, as I said, we can make a difference in outcomes just by the way we treat people. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a lot of evidence on that. Dr. Edwin Oroke has looked at, you know, the difference in treatment of pain based on skin color. And it's astounding, Mm. you know, 50%. There was a study where they interviewed medical students and I think new residents and they asked them, a single question, do black Americans have thicker skin and does that make them more resistant to pain? 50% of them said yes. Say what? What? Well, wow. And that leads to differences in the treatment of pain. It's been shown well, in the literature. I know so we all harbor stereotypes. We do. I mean, yeah. just like Asians, you can. it seems like you can cut their arms off and they'll just look at you. <laughs> In pain differences, yeah. Like, they just seem to yeah. – and it, this just comes from years, and maybe it's a, a stereotypical thing that I've got in my head, but I'm not the only one. <laughs> but, you know, I can see how we develop yeah. stereotypes, but I never, I've never thought of the skin thing. <laughs> Your yeah. skin is thicker or thinner. Wow. <laughs> well, and we even teach things. There's, there's a whole concept of race-based medicine – where we teach that things are different based on race when really it's a social determinant of right right so that all comes into that's all part of this program is just having our students at least although we may not have changed the diversity very quickly Mm -hmm. we can at least change their minds as they're entering the profession you know as i'm sitting here thinking through this as well you know i think Part of what you're talking about, I mean, I'm a big believer in your mind controls everything. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. You know, I mean, if you're if you're talking about pain and how you react to pain and control of that, I mean, again, there's some mind alterations that come in there as well, and that could be cultural. I mean, I haven't studied enough to know that. But part of it would be cultural, you know. Yeah, because of the what they've been through in their lives and and how they've reacted. And talk. Could you imagine my daddy? Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. If I cried, there better be blood, and there better be yeah. a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I think the other part of this is another word that 
hasn't been mentioned yet is empathy and being mm-hmm. empathetic. And yep. that, that's something else that obviously people need to be aware of out there. And as we kind of talk about that. Well, re- what about 2020? I mean, after mm-hmm. everything, one would think that we would be coming out of what the whole globe mm. went through would be more <clears throat> empathy, but think we have less i think so and i don't i'm more divided i've not seen anything that actually quantifies that but i just well i think there's two things to that sharon i think we had this little election that just divided everyone from Mm -hmm. every political spectrum i think the other thing is is that people have been socially isolated and when you're isolated you don't have that interaction you can't find that empathy with people so i think there's two reasons to that um so do you think it's going to get better once people can have full body contact again (laughs) (laughs) now we're not going down that road to full body contact but but i mean and whenever i say that i mean hugging somebody you know or shaking someone's hand is that going to be the norm anymore i don't know we have to see people as we have to recognize differences and embrace those and unfortunately i see culture going the other way is that difference means cancellation or oh yeah or mm-hmm. just yeah. there's no there's there's no longer an ability to agree to disagree or have civil debate discourse. or discourse, mm-hmm. and that's sad. Um, yeah, cultural humility, though, I think compared to some of the other tools that we currently hear about in society, mm-hmm. certainly offers that opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. It's a social experiment, to be sure. Well, it is. You know, and Sharon, I've heard you talk about millennials a lot and how they're not scared of anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think one of the things that I notice in being around millennials and younger people in general, my daughter, who's 20, being one, is it really doesn't matter to them what color your skin is. That's true. It, it doesn't. That is true. It does not matter. I mean, what color your skin is, you know, if, uh, you know, you've got someone who's black and married to a white person or an Asian, it doesn't matter Mm-mm. to them at all. That is true. Um, and, you know, that is a step in the right direction. I think politically speaking, you know, we have just become so – hotly divided you're you're wrong or you're right there's mm-hmm. no middle there's no ground middle. and i don't know how we we change that i mean that's one that just over time hopefully evolves and we get a leader that can bring everyone together but well i have um, some thoughts on that well i'm sure you do with <laughs> politics uh so that's why i kind of led you into that if you well you know there is literature to support that women are better collaborators than men are they'll try testosterone well it really messes y'all up i just hate to tell you because that makes you a fighter you know but they have proven that women are better at legislating and governing because they collaborate a woman will try and find a similarity i'll come in and i'll oh i really like that top you have on today a man would never do that yeah that's true you know so we'll look for similarities and so my thoughts are once we reach parity in representation which would parallel what you're talking about with females in leadership positions i think that Mm -hmm. some of this will get better and of course i'm speaking from my perspective right Right. And I'd love to hear what uh, some of our listeners think about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this would be, that'd be a whole interesting podcast and topic in that's itself. A, that's a yeah. series of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. it really would be. <laughs> we might Maybe have, even an open forum oh on my something God, like we that. Might, yeah, that would be a great idea. Yeah. So, no, I think that would be really good. Okay. So, so back to this, this point uh, <laughs> that we were talking about. I'm sorry to, to lead us down that road. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855 855- 304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. 
or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So, Richie, how do you become more culturally, we're going to call it humble, and then what would you suggest would be the takeaway for our CRNA listeners, mm-hmm. you know, who maybe, you know, have been around for a while and they really haven't gone through this type of training? Again, for me, as I look at the younger CRNAs and SRNAs out there, they're getting a lot of this training. It's probably the CRNA who's been a CRNA yeah. for a while who aren't getting this. So what would be some of the points you think that they should take away from this? this? Certainly. Well, I think, you know, recognizing that there are differences in outcomes that we contribute to, whether you see it or you believe it or not. Mm-hmm. The literature shows that. And, you know, the idea that we can have identical provider patients when it comes to race, ethnicity, culture, that's never going to happen, right? But I unlike society today, happen to believe that we can, we can both recognize how far we've come and how far we need to go at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, look at where have we, we've come a long way mm-hmm. as a profession, yeah. but we still have a long way to go. And so recognizing both of those is important. Just doing some homework and, and not just that homework being Facebook Right. <laughs> into what how do Please. I contribute how do I contribute to outcomes? What are the differences? You know, there's it's amazing when I dug into the research to see differences in outcomes when you just look at providers. Kind of one of the landmark studies now is the difference in, in fetal outcomes based on the the ethnicity having same eth- ethnicity providers for like pediatricians. Mm-hmm. and obstetricians mm. in underrepresented communities. And there's a stark difference. It's crazy. Well, I was re- along that line, I was reading something about midwives. Mm-hmm. And midwives decrease maternal and infant mortality. Yeah. And what group has the highest uh, mortality are women of color. Absolutely. But there is not a midwifery school anywhere in the country mm-hmm. at uh, historically black Right. College. So there's there's a lot of differences there. And just realizing we do contribute to those. But I think going back to the, the idea of cultural humility and the theory that was published and, and developed recently, there's some, some background tenets. And those are we're diverse mm-hmm. as a population. We are also humans are inherently altruistic. I don't think people believe that anymore. Hmm. We have equal value. Cultural conflict is normal and expected. That's a central tenet of this, that you say that it's normal and expected. And then devoting yourself to lifelong learning, really. And that learning is begins with self-reflection. And that's really where this starts. And I think if there's a starting point for a practicing CRNA out there listening – that is taking a deep dive, thinking about my history, what are my, and I hate to use this term because it's been heavily politicized, but what are my implicit biases? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the stereotypes that I maybe even subconsciously believe? Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in a small, predominantly white middle class town in Tennessee. And then I went to college in Memphis and I worked in trauma in Memphis in the crack cocaine. Heydays you saw a little bit there is what you're saying. I did, yeah. but it it put some implicit bias in my mind towards mm-hmm. black males. Right. Mm-hmm. Because right. all I ever saw was a criminal element. Right. Right. And then going beyond that, so and I and I realized that later in life that, you know, that bias is there. I never had friends or role models or saw black males in any other position mm-hmm. in life, mm-hmm. right. right, largely, right. that I was closely associated with. So that's something that I've had to change and, and grasp with and deal with. But I think looking at ourself, and that's really where cultural humility begins, is that self-reflection. What is it that I may be doing in my practice every day that I, I don't even realize I'm mm-hmm. doing in the way I treat patients differently? Hmm. So starting with that self-reflection and then going, okay, I need to I need to learn about this. Education, I mean, we learning is free. Yeah. Well, change can happen. Remember, change can happen. Our yeah. Declaration of Independence says all men are created equal. Yeah. 
didn't say all men and women. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just just realizing, I'm not the expert in anybody but me, and I don't even know myself that well. Right? Oh Lord, maybe your spouse does. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think Pierce knows me better than I do. <laughs> then well, Jeremy knows me better than most people do. <laughs> well, you know, Richie, as we kind of wrap this up and conclude here, you know, again, I'm just thinking, and you know, I'm thinking here. We have this uh, white male in the nurse anesthesia profession teaching about cultural humility and diversity. And I'm going to ask you, and I have a theory on this, but why are you teaching this? Well, I fell into it. (laughs) (laughs) But once I got into it and I realized I am the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I start looking at this, and it's like I'm the person that needs to hear this, right? And and I, I started seeing in some circles, and, and really after 2020, in society in general, that there's a lot of people who promote themselves as social justice warriors, if you will. Mm-hmm. When you look at this space, yeah. There's a lot of people out there, quite honestly, that just want to appear that they've reached some arbitrary level on the woke barometer. Yep. And they want everyone to see that. I'm waving the flags. I've got the signs in my yard. But I really don't care about change or doing anything. And it drives me crazy. And when I working in this space, it's like, okay, are we going to do something or are we just going to make the world believe that we're doing something? And there's a lot of that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Every corporation yeah. in America Very wants true. to see that they're doing something. Everyone right. to see they're doing But are, are they really doing anything? So when I, when I got involved in this work with, you know, pipeline programs, outreach, and you start working with these kids. We just recently did a, a group through the School of Medicine in Wake Forest where you know, high school kids come in from all around the region and largely underrepresented, uh, you know, populations. And they just come in for the day and we tell them what we do. And we take them back and we do an airway lab and let them mm-hmm. intubate. And, of course, they're putting the tubes in backwards and laryngoscopes <laughs> in their right hand. And it, But yeah. it's so fun to see them in there and see these young minds and think, you know what? This could change someone's future mm-hmm. and change the future of their whole well, family they, dynamics. Well, they're seeing the possibilities. They are. Right. They're being exposed. That's it. I mean, yeah. it's just like, of course, I relate everything back to politics. Uh, <laughs> it's just like whenever Kimberly and I did a webinar with these really powerful nurse legislators, and we had 50 nurses who looked at them, and they saw – that they could be them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the same thing. It's not crossed their minds, the possibility I could yeah. be that person. And right. we're so it's, often, we're just preaching to the choir. Sure. Yeah. And that's sure. what is happening a lot, right? Yeah. So I'm, I represent the opposite of that. And, and my kids would, I have three daughters who are, you know, all in their 20s, and they're like, Dad, what are you doing? You, <laughs> you're just going to say something that's going to get you canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. I mean, no, but I, I, again, and that's kind of along the lines I was I was thinking, Richie, you know, people like you and I and Sharon do need to be talking about this, even if we don't know everything about mm-hmm. it, because, yeah, we're going to screw up. We're going to say some things that mm-hmm. aren't right, that somebody goes, you know, wait a minute, you can't say that. But we're learning Right. And I think that's the key, and that's what you're talking about is the idea here is, Sharon, you know, your dad grew up completely different. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and his parents grew up completely different. We are, And I've said this before, we're not that far removed no. mm-hmm. from slavery. We're not that far removed well, and recognizing from – recognizing that, hey, we have come a long way in a short period short of time. Short period of time. But it's it wasn't that long ago that, you know, the civil rights movement happened oh, and well, Martin Luther I, King I and JFK. I remember when our schools I mean, integrated, busing. Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to school. I was in elementary right. school. So we still have those in our head. And the more we talk about that and get it out, I mean, some of uh, some really great friends that are – you know, they're not like me at all. You know, they're black mm-hmm. and Asian and, you know, culturally different, gay. And, you know, I mean, it's just, but 
you know, and I have to learn from them when right. I spend time with them. And I think well, that's kind of the key. Well, I think what I hear you saying is there's got to be understanding on both sides. Right. You know, you may say something that somebody else finds offensive. Instead, we have a saying at work, uh, I'm offended. I want an apology and I want somebody fired. (laughs) You know, instead of going down that route, it's like, you know, that I I really did not appreciate that. And and maybe you just pull them aside and go, hey, Sharon, I'm I'm a black male and you said this and man, let me just educate you a little bit. This is not cool. I know you didn't mean it because you didn't really know it, but that's a much better way than going, oh my God, I'm going to HR on you because you just said this. And I want an apology and I want you fired. I was (laughs) so happy this week. Because then that makes you, okay, well then, there you go. I was right. (laughs) I don't know if anyone saw it, but I was so happy to see... um, a celebrity, Miley Cyrus, came. Oh, out. I saw that yesterday. And there was a rapper who made some comments about patient, homophobic. Uh, with, yeah, but instead of coming out and saying he should be canceled and forgotten about forever, she said, "Let me help you mm-hmm. learn more about this. We right. need to have a that, conversation." Who would think yeah. that Miley would be? That exactly. Big? But it, it's maybe Ooh. there's hope in society that we yeah. as we progress that people can realize that we right. we all have different starting points mm-hmm. we're not all going to change and become the social justice like, warrior tomorrow yeah it's yeah. we all have different paths and different speeds along that path mm-hmm. well there was just an issue in my industry um, oh, really? with a lady who, who was a financial advisor she's running this practice and i'm not going to say names or where she was at but evidently was looking to hire someone and her staff had set up interviews and she told one of her staff members that she didn't want any blacks coming in and she had told her that and there was a, evidently a, you know someone who was black who came in for the interview and this staffer actually recorded her and sent it out on a TikTok oh wow yes and, I mean, it obviously has upended her business, her sure. broker-dealer affiliation. They terminated her affiliation. You well, know, of was course. It, I, but, won't, I won't to fire you. <laughs> right. And, I mean, I don't know how her clientele are dealing with that. But, you know, again, it wasn't the right thing to say. But she's been totally canceled. And, I, I, again, I don't know – you know, what her background was, what the reasoning was. Was this something that she did all the time? Was it just kind of a one? So, you know, the staff person basically turned her in. And now there they might don't have, have been, a job either. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And there, there might have been a better way to handle that. Sure. I wasn't there. I don't yeah. know. It's not the right thing to do. But, you know, could someone have you know, pulled her aside and said, Hey, you know what? This is not right. You know, look at our office, look at the situation we're in. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this and made her think about this differently. But there are ramifications to things I understand. But to Richie's point, I think the whole idea and to your point, Sharon, is to start a conversation Mm -hmm. when people aren't like you, don't look like you, don't dress like you, don't act like you try to start the conversation that is, hey, you know, where do we have some overlap and how can you teach me about things and I teach mm-hmm. you about things and it just makes the whole world a better place. And on that note. Well, Sharon, this is your favorite it time is. of the podcast. So, so we're going to enter the lightning round. The Richie, lightning are you round. ready? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> Sharon, I'll let you start. Oh my goodness. So who's your hero? I actually looked at that this morning and i thought you know what if she asked me that i don't have a single hero you got a she-ro his wife i should say my wife there you go and and many days then the three daughters will be mad my daughters and but i look at people in society now and I, i think maybe this is just me getting older i hate to say that but it happens dude i really love to see just everyday people making a difference and you know like recently the filipino olympian mm-hmm. that was just so proud of her heritage and stood up there and i'm like okay she's my hero right now yeah so I, my hero changes every day oh okay <laughs> all right okay 
So let me think here. Richie, what is your favorite song? <laughs> My kids would just, they're shaking their heads right now. <laughs> I'm going to have to say James Taylor, Fire and Rain. Ooh. Oh, good one. That's, okay. that's a good one. If you could have had another profession, what would it be? I've always been called out for how in the heck have you made it 25 years in an anesthesia profession? Because I'm not the type A, really? in a box, uh-huh. analytic. Yeah. Um, I probably an architect or real estate developer. Now, you see, you know what I was going to say? What's that? I was going to say a travel agent or a food connoisseur because Sarah <laughs> used be to fun. work with Richie, that would be so much and fun, Richie actually. would always give her travel tips because he loves to travel, tell us places to go eat. In fact, we went to Florida, and you had told Sarah about some restaurant or something down there, and I was like, who is this Richie guy you keep talking about? You <laughs> okay, know, you I mean, change my answer. How about concierge? Oh, there you go. Oh, there, there you, you go. go. That's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. You know, I'm going to end on this when Richie if you won the lottery what would you do I have an answer all right I've all actually right. met with my accountant many years ago to discuss this <laughs> and we developed a plan okay all right so why do you play the lottery um, occasionally <laughs> but I would create a um, a 501c3 okay and I would just pay myself very um, heavily to manage that, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. But I would come up with some interesting and very worthy causes. I would find ways to give away money. Yeah. So you and Bill Gates would be buds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. You're not taking a big trip or buying a oh, Ferrari or buy the Queen Mary. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Richie, thank you. Thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for all you're doing for the nurse anesthesia community and for your 25 years and, and for what you're doing at the school with, with those students. I know it's greatly appreciated in your innovator role mm-hmm. over there. So. Annie has we, to walk by my picture every day. I do. <laughs> you know, we, we haven't done, we're, our plan is to do some qualitative research. We have the students do um, reflective journaling oh. as part of this I process. to do that at Yale. But anecdotally, it's certainly been a great benefit to this, just in the Students dropping by my office and saying, you know what? I witnessed this incident yeah. where somebody's being treated poorly based on skin color, and they intervened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're paying attention. They're paying attention. Yeah. They're seeing things. You. So it, it's just that in itself is, is worth doing it. Yeah. Well, Sharon. I think it's a wrap. I think so. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to see us grow, Sharon, what are the best ways they can help us do that? <laughs> like us, subscribe, tell your friends, put it on social media. I'm glad you're not saying love us anymore. You know, I didn't want to get any kind of, you know, mushy stuff, ma- going, mushy on. stuff going on. You know? Shut up. <laughs> you know, After in- we were just talking about how the world needs more love well you know it can be taken in a lot of different ways oh, I think that was a 70s song <laughs> <laughs> or, the, oh, or the late 60s yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, all right Sharon, you know we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country on our way to number one all right so until next time it's a wrap Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. 
Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out BeyondTheMaskPodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.